Today on Blue 58, Devondre Campbell revolutionized the Packers' linebacker room last year, and this season, Quay Walker gives them the best athlete they've had at the position in a long, long time. So what will we see from this group with expectations flying high? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. It's a weird sensation looking at the Packers' linebacker room. It's different than it's been. And it's different than it's been in a long, long time. Maybe, shoot, as long as I can remember. Maybe in my time as a Packers fan, I can't remember a linebacker room that was quite like this. Some of the 90s teams had some pretty decent linebacker groups. 2010 Packers started the season with uh, Nick Barnett and A.J. Hawk, technically an inside linebacker then, and Desmond Bishop too. The point is, it's weird to look at linebacker and see not a abject weakness, but an obvious strength. It's similar to defensive line for the Packers this year. But unlike defensive line, I'm not sure there's anything else that I want from the Packers linebackers. I mean, you could you could still, in theory, upgrade the Packers defensive line room. You add somebody who's who's an all-around plus instead of maybe just a pass rusher in, in Dean Lowry. Who, who that would be, I don't know. But the point is there's still maybe a little bit of wiggle room to improve. At linebacker, I'm not sure there's anything else, though. What else would you add? You've got your rock-steady leader in Devondre Campbell. You've got your uber-athletic prospect in Quay Walker. You've got a good backup in Chris Barnes. You've got some interesting other options. Ty Summers, Isaiah McDuffie, Ray Wilborn. Sure, I mean, not starting caliber guys, at least not right now, but interesting in their own rights. And even beyond that, You've got Calif Bryce and Ellis Brooks. There's a lot to like here. And more than this just being a good inside linebacker group, you've got a group that could be a real asset to the defense and not just a placeholder. We've talked about Blake Martinez at length on this podcast before. I've probably come off a little bit harsh towards him in the past because he was a he was fine in his own right. He was certainly not a bad player. But one of the the consistent gripes I had with Blake Martinez is he didn't necessarily make, make the defense better. He just didn't make them actively worse. And with weaknesses elsewhere on the defense, that was a bit of a problem. This year's linebackers are more than just adequate. They're more than just placeholders. They should be a real asset. They should be real playmakers for this defense. This year's linebacker group gives the Packers flexibility options. They can for the first time in as long as I can remember, really dictate to the offense what they want to do. Way back on draft night, we talked about what Quay Walker could bring to the Packers' defense. The Packers have tried to use safeties and lesser players, basically, at that dime linebacker spot. And if Quay Walker is what the Packers think that he is, they will not have to compromise there anymore. They don't necessarily have to respond to offenses who go go light in an effort to out-scheme the Packers. They don't have to give up size to beef up their speed at linebacker. They have so many options. And on top of that, they still have all pro Devondre Campbell coming back for another season. There's a lot to like, and I like it a lot. 
So let's talk about the individual guys. Maybe not so much individual guys this year as as groups of guys, because I think if you're talking about expectations, the only place where the expectations start to differ a little bit within those groups is at the very top with Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell's. Devondre Campbell, excuse me. The guys for whom I have no expectations this year are the the two undrafted free agent types, Calf Bryce and Ellis Brooks. Both are facing serious depth chart issues here. They're not necessarily bad players. Ellis Brooks in particular, very successful college career. Interesting prospect to be sure. It's going to be a tough road ahead to climb up the depth chart in Green Bay. I think that's that's fair to those guys. They're, they're not bad players, but it's it's a tough road ahead. Low expectations, pretty simple as well. You've got Ty Summers, Isaiah McDuffie, and Ray Wilborn. You're probably looking at keeping two of these three guys, and all of them are fairly similar. So all of them have a pretty similar path toward making expectations. They might vary a little bit. I like Isaiah McDuffie and Ray Wilborn as traditional defenders a lot more than Ty Summers. Summers might be a better special teams player than either of them, but he also has the... um, the strike against him of being further along in his contract than the other two. So if you're looking for longer-term team control, you look at McDuffie and Wilborn, save a little bit of money longer term. It depends what you want if uh, if you're splitting hairs at that level. But each of them has the same path to meeting expectations. Just make the team. Whatever happens beyond that as far as these guys is, is pretty much gravy. If you're if you're looking for a big role on defense from any of these guys, that's a you problem, not not a problem with the game that they have they'll probably all be fairly core contributors on special team if they make the roster. I think Wilborn is worth a longer look. A bit of a hybrid safety linebacker already in college. Pretty good athlete. If you want to compare him to somebody else on the the Packers roster, he might be the closest to being the extremely poor man's Quay Walker. He has that sort of hybrid ability. He's a pretty good athlete. And of these three, I think he's the best prospect long term. Prediction-wise, in terms of these three guys, I think Ty Summers is done. I think we've seen about enough. I still have flashbacks to the 2020 NFC Championship game for a variety of reasons, but uh, a couple linebackers get dinged up for the Packers. On comes Ty Summers. Everyone at home notices that Ty Summers is on the field, and guess who else notices as well? Well, of course, Tom Brady is going to notice that Ty Summers is on the field, and he went after him right away, and it worked out for the Buccaneers pretty well. So I would predict that Ty Summers is done, just given the presence of some of these other guys on the roster. There's, You can try something else without giving up all that much. I think Isaiah McDuffie is going to make the team, and he's going to break 100 snaps this year on special teams. Shouldn't be that big of an ask for a guy who's going to have the opportunities that he does. I also predict that Ray Wilborn is going to spend time on the 53-man roster this year. I think he's just too good to get rid of and, and too good to um, just ignore. He, he won't He won't do any good just sitting down in the practice squad all year long. So I think he does get up on the 53 at some point this year. In terms of moderate expectations, we've got Chris Barnes all here by his lonesome. What else could it be for Barnes? He's not Devondre Campbell. He's not Quay Walker. He is a limited athlete who has looked fairly limited as a player when given some pretty extensive opportunities. And please don't take limited as bad. I don't think Chris Barnes has ever really been bad on the field. I think whenever he has had struggles on the field, it's just been due to who and what he is as a player. Does that make you bad if you can't execute in a given scenario? I don't really think so. So the expectation is pretty moderate for me. 
meeting those expectations comes to comes down to finding a role for Barnes. Now, that's maybe a little bit easier said than done because the depth chart ahead of him is difficult. You've got Devondre Campbell, who's going to be on the field unless he has to come off it for some reason. And you've got Quay Walker, a guy the Packers are going to find reasons to get on the field. So what is Chris Barnes' role? If you look back over the course of Blue 58 in the power sweep, I think there is a, an obvious role available to him, but I'm not sure to the extent the extent to which it exists in Joe Barry's defense. Under Mike Pettin, you always had the sidekick linebacker. It was filled by guys like Antonio Morrison and B.J. Goodson. The thumper, the run defender only, the guy who comes in in obvious running situations or neutral situations where you think they're leaning run to come in, hit hard against the run, fill those gaps, and don't be a liability, again, in the run game. Run stuff and run stuff only. If you had to sit here preseason and say, what is Chris Barnes' role? It probably looks something like that. Does that role exist with the 2022 Packers? Mm, I think that's a fair question. I, I don't think the Packers are going to be actively looking to replace Chris Barnes, but I do think there is a little bit of a struggle to, to find a role like that. That said, I think given that he has always been a fairly assignment-sure player, I think given the fact that he was relatively successful in the role that he had last year, he'll stick around and the Packers will, will find a use for him. In fact, I think either due to injury or just uh, waiting a while to get Quay Walker up to speed, Barnes is going to start five games for the Packers that, this year. That is my big prediction for him. I don't have anything against Chris Barnes. I just think he's a, a little bit limited as a player. That is not true of the two guys for whom we can pencil in some pretty high expectations this year. Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker. I don't think you can have anything but high expectations for them. Campbell in all pro last year, got a big contract in the offseason. Walker is a first-round pick and an insane athlete as a first-round pick to boot. Both have high expectations, but the path to meeting them, I think, is pretty different for both. Let's start with Quay Walker. What do you even ask of a rookie linebacker in 2022 in the NFL? I don't really know. On top of that, what do you ask of a rookie linebacker who is coming in essentially to be second fiddle, to be the sidekick? I'm not sure there either. The thing that makes it easier is you can see the role. You can see how the Packers have used people next to Devondre Campbell and before him, Blake Martinez, over the years. It's going to be dime linebacker stuff, covering tight ends, uh, occasional blitzes as a tendency breaker, being speed without being a size liability. The role is there. My big question is how much are they going to bank on that role this year and how much are they going to trust Quay Walker to fill it, especially early on? I don't know the answer there, and discovering the answer is going to be a big part of whether or not Quay Walker really lives up to expectations as a first-round pick this year. How much is he actually going to get on the field? I think he's such a dynamic athlete that you really are going to have to justify keeping him off the field at a certain point 
if you're if you're still in week three or four and he's not getting extensive reps on defense, you you've got to have a pretty good reason at that point to get, keep a guy off the field like that. I mean, shoot, even Josh Jones back in 2017, he was not a, a great football player by any stretch of the imagination, but he was such a good athlete, you had to put him out there. And interesting things, for better and for worse, tended to happen when Josh Jones is on the field. I think Quay Walker is the more refined version of that. But can you trust him on the field? That's a That remains to be seen. The guy you can trust on the field, though, is Devondre Campbell. And I think if you're looking at expectations for him in 2022, it's got to be very similar to 2021. He is the playmaker that we always wished that Blake Martinez would be, while having, I think, the same basic reputation that Martinez been. He is assignment sure. He is the guy who makes everything go in the middle. But on top of that, he can fill in gaps in a way that Martinez could, couldn't and make up for deficiencies elsewhere. I think that is the big difference between Campbell and Martinez. Campbell is better for better than covering better at covering for other people's weaknesses than Martinez was because he's he's bigger and a, and a better athlete. He's also just really good at being in the right place at the right time. That is obviously a skill. It can be a learned skill, and Campbell seems to have it. Was a perfect fit in the Packers' defense in 2021. I think we need to have that again, and I think he just needs to make a couple more plays on the ball to go from having a great 2021 one to having a truly outstanding 2022. My predictions around Walker and Campbell both boil down to ball hawks making plays on the ball. I do have an extra one in here for Campbell, but I predict that Walker is going to get on the field and will have more than seven, but fewer than 13 ball hawks. That is the the stat that we track that basically tries to capture your entire impact on, on getting to the ball. So a sack, an interception, a pass defense, or a forced fumble is a ball hawk. Walker will have seven or more, but fewer than 13 of those. Campbell, meanwhile, I think is going to have a dozen or more ball hawks this year. He had 11 last year, so it's not like this is, um, you know, downplaying it. I think he is going to take a step forward because he started a little bit slow last year. It took him a while to get up to speed. I think he's going to have an opportunity to make more plays on the ball this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers turned him loose a little bit more as a blitzer, maybe get a couple more sacks um, that way as well. I also would like to predict that if he is healthy for the duration of the season, that Devondre Campbell is going to finish the season top five in the NFL in tackles. This is something that Blake Martinez could be regularly counted upon to do. I think Campbell is going to do the same thing if he is healthy again this year. And I I think there's no reason to assume that he won't be healthy. So those are the linebackers. I feel pretty good about the Packers linebacker group this year. I think you should too. It'll be interesting to see how they play out on the field Uh, this season. Before we dive into chapter, what is it, chapter five now of the games that changed the game, I want to take a second not to do Patreon shoutouts, but to remind you of the Blue 58 podcast scholarship contest that is ongoing. We are still accepting pitches for uh, your potential podcast. If you would like to have your own Packers podcast, you think, hey, this isn't so hard. John can do it. I can do it too. And I want to put your thoughts out there in the universe. Let me help you get that going. I want to help you get your podcast off the ground, and here's how it's going to go. Submit your pitch to me by 11.59 p.m. next Friday, one week from the day this podcast goes up. That is July, what is it, July 15th? Yes, by 11.59 p.m. on Friday, July 15th, get your pitches in. We will consider them. 
We will share the top five with the podcast audience, and then we'll open things up for voting. The winning podcast pitch is going to receive a year of hosting on ACAST, the podcast platform that we use, as well as an AT2020 USB microphone with which to launch your show. We'll help you get, get off the ground and get running um, because I think it's, it's great to encourage more, more creativity in the podcast space, and I think you can be a part of that as well. So it would mean a lot to me if you would pitch your idea to me. I want to hear it. I want to hear your creative thoughts about what you can bring to the world of Packers podcasting, and I want to help you get your show off the ground. Head to thepowersweep.com for more information about how this will work. We've got the entire pitch post available at that fine website. The games that changed the game, we are talking about the 46 defense, legendary Chicago Bears defense for this chapter. Looking at the chapter overall, my big takeaways are are twofold. First, I think this is a good chapter that explains how innovation can work in a very specific way. Innovation, I think in football especially, comes down to not doing what you're supposed to do or just doing things differently than how they're supposed to be done. It really stuck out to me when Ron Jaworski, talking about facing the, the Chicago Bears defense, talked about watching film because none of it made sense to him. They didn't play defense how everybody else played defense under Buddy Ryan, whether it was um, the Jets or the Bears or whoever was facing, facing off against Buddy Ryan. The defenses didn't add up, and that was because Ryan would do things like blitz on first and 10 or just bring pressure from a really unusual angle or bring pressure with two guys from the same spot or just throw out all sorts of things. He would leave his his secondary in what Jaworski called unsound coverages just because he thought he could get pressure on the quarterback in a different way. And wouldn't you know it, that's basically how guys play defense today. You try to do all of the things that Buddy Ryan does. They've just become standard because his approach works so well, whether it was the 46 or more traditional stuff, doing unconventional things has become rote. But the innovation happened because Ryan was willing to do something you weren't, weren't, air quotes, supposed to do. The second thing that really stuck out to me in this chapter was the idea of perceived pressure. So this is something I I think what comes to mind when I I think about perceived pressure is uh, Mike Zimmer and really every defensive guy who who loves the the double-A gap blitz. So you see this a lot, or you saw this a lot, when when Zimmer's Vikings played the Packers. The Packers come to the line, Aaron Rodgers is there under scrimmage, and Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks walk right up to the line of scrimmage and stand on either side of the center, just waiting for Aaron Rodgers to snap the ball. Rodgers has to make a decision here because you're doing the math. All right, I've got a defensive lineman over guard. I've got a defensive lineman over the other guard. I've got two linebackers over the center. There's four of them. There's three of my guys. Something is not going to add up here. We got to make some sort of decision. We got to move some things around because all of those guys might be coming and we got to figure out how to handle them. Maybe sometimes all four of those guys do come. Maybe sometimes it's only three. Maybe sometimes it's only Eric Kendricks. Maybe sometimes it's only Aaron Barr, Anthony Barr, excuse me. Maybe sometimes it's one looping around the other. But the idea is, to circle back to what Buddy Ryan was doing, before the ball is even snapped, 
the offense already has to react to the defense. And that's a great thing to do if you're a defense. You don't want the def- or the offense to know what you're going to do. Or if they do know what you're going to do, you want to use what they think you're going to do to disguise something else. Just get them thinking. And getting them thinking is as good as, almost in some ways, as, as defending them outright. If you can make them think you're doing something and they have to react, you've already changed their plan for them. And that's a small win if you're the defense. And stacking as many small wins as you can is, is crucial to succeeding as a defense in the NFL. Because the game is going to be stacked against you. You just got to get your wins wherever you can. And getting the opposing offense to think is one way to squeak out one of those wins. Individual notes from the chapter. Love the shout out for the Arena Football League. I don't even know if it's around anymore, but for a while I was an Arena Football League diehard. For most of the 2012 season, I watched almost every game of whatever the, uh, the Arizona, was it the Arizona Rattlers or the Phoenix Rattlers? I, I think it was the Arizona Rattlers. Um, just loved watching Arena Football. It was, um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, if you get the opportunity to go to an Arena Football game or something resembling it in the facets in which it is still around, I would recommend it because you'll never see anything like it on a football field. Also came away uh, after repeated mentions of Buddy Ryan's um, military career, wondering how the military affected football. How did the U.S. military affect NFL football? Because given that the NFL got rolling in the 20s, just a couple years after World War II, many of the players and coaches had to have been involved in World War I in some capacity. And then you have World War II, ranging from late 30s to 1945, again, all those guys come back and get involved with whatever they do. Some of them filter up into football. What were the ways in which that sort of mentality or those experiences affected the NFL? And how are they still being felt today? I don't know the answer to that. I just think it's an interesting question because there certainly had to be some effect. Buddy Ryan brings this killer be killed back from the, the, the war in Korea and puts it on, on the football field. I mean, there was an effect there. Kill, 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 no mercy. I don't think that's really a, necessarily a positive human trait, but it worked for him as a, as a defensive coordinator, right? There had to have been other effects there. It's it just, it was too big of a cultural event for it to not have effects in football. What were they? Who knows? Maybe somebody wrote a really good scholarly book about that or something. We have to look into that. Um, I thought it was interesting. I forget which game it was that uh, they're talking about the Ryan defense, but uh, a game against the Chargers, that's what it was. Um, they're facing uh, the Don Coryell era Chargers, and they have this great defensive game, blah, blah, blah. You get to the end, and Jaworski's like, and they won 20-17 to 17 in overtime. I think this kind of in a small way illustrates a lot of what I've said about defense over the years. It's great to have a great defense. It's really tough to build around defense defense because you need, one, so many great players to make it work, and two, you're still at a disadvantage. So you have this tremendous defensive performance, and the best you can do is squeaking out a three-point win in overtime. I mean, you could just build around offense and score slightly more points, and you still defeat this tremendous defense. I... It's, it's a tough sell, and it shows how narrow the line is of, of being an elite defense to being an elite defense that still doesn't win. Still, 
look at the numbers uh, or the number of coaches produced by this defense. Jeff Fisher, Leslie Frazier, Mike Singletary, Ron Rivera, Kevin Gilbride, all players who ended up coaching at, at high levels in the NFL. Uh, at least four of those guys. I, I think Gilbride may have been a head coach at one point. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, but but Fisher, Frazier, Singletary, and Rivera all were, or even in Rivera's case, still are today, head coaches in the NFL and got their start uh, as players in Buddy Ryan's 46 defense. Love the traffic cop analogy for Mike Singletary. Make adjustments uh, as necessary. Get everybody pointed where they are. And as we said with Devondre Campbell earlier, in some cases, be the adjustment. Uh, okay, this guy is not going to be able to get where he needs to be to cover this particular guy. I'm going to step up and make the play because I have the ability to get there and I see everything that's going on. That is terrific. That's terrific stuff. And uh, Singletary obviously made a Hall of Fame career out of it as a as a player, and you still have got players who can do that sort of thing today. Um, on, on top of the 46, the a couple defensive principles really stuck out stuck out to me from this chapter. Uh, the automatic front and cover uh, adjustment. Uh, so you change from a 4-3 to a 3-4 alignment, depending on what the um, offense is doing in front of you. Wild, like sorcery level stuff in the 80s. Basically happens every single down today. It's called basically what is referred to today as a multiple front. You just roll out different defensive fronts based on what your opponent or what you anticipate your opponent is going to do. It was high concept stuff 40 years ago. Today, it's just Sunday. But it shows what kind of an innovator a buddy Ryan was. Also, the bare front. Put two inside linebackers on one side of the formation. Rush the passer with those guys. Really, really super unbalanced stuff. But it works. And today, you see a similar sort of thing on the Packers defense when they put two edge rushers on the same side. There's different terminology for it, but that's often called a boss front, uh, which stands for bigs on same side, B-O-S-S. Um, it, it works, and it's a principle that has its roots in the 46 defense. The game itself, like a lot of these games, the, the game itself is, is almost secondary, but still fairly interesting. Week 11, 1985, Bears and Cowboys, Cowboys, well, this is, a, this is a tough one because you love to see the Cowboys get their teeth kicked in, but you also hate to see the Bears do anything right. So, hmm, which do we choose? In this case, I guess you got to root for the Bears yeah, as much as you, you hate the Cowboys. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have to root for the Bears. But I'm always a sucker for a teacher-student matchup. It worked in Star Wars. You like it in, in football as well. When I left you, I was but a learner. Now I am the master. Uh, Mike Ditka gets to say that to Tom Landry and uh, hands him a really ignominious defeat there towards the end of Landry's coaching career in Dallas. Another game, though, shaped by a key injury. Danny White goes down for the Cowboys. Would this game have played any differently if White had been able to play the entire game? Probably not. But uh, still, um, you don't really get the full picture of how Chicago handled Dallas because Dallas was without one of their best players. Uh, for this game. You do feel for Danny White, though. Uh, This quote really stuck out to me. Quote, I knew in virtually every play, on virtually every play, someone was going to be unblocked, but I never knew where he was, and my lineman didn't either. End quote. That just sounds like a very painful Sunday. And as it turned out, yes, it was. Cowboys get hammered by the Bears. Bears go on to win Super Bowl twenty. In terms of Packers connections in this in this chapter, two big ones. Uh, Jim McMahon, 
the quarterback for the Bears, uh, ended up on the Packers for a couple of years um, in the mid-90s, uh, serving as Brett Favre's understudy when the Packers needed some depth behind him. Uh, won a Super Bowl with the Packers in 1996. Uh, also, the 2009 Jets have a couple Packers connections. One real big one, I guess. Rex Ryan, the, the head coach, uh, not a connection in and of himself, but who he hired as his defensive coordinator obviously ended up um, affecting the Packers because Mike Pettin comes over as a defensive coordinator to serve under Ryan, ends up in Green Bay in the same role. About a decade later, a little a little under a decade later in 2018, he ends up as the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Also, Mike Smith has a bit of a cameo there as a, as a member of the 2009 Jets, but um, he is no longer a coach with the Packers, both Pettin and Smith, now with the Minnesota Vikings. That's all for this chapter, and that is all for this episode of Blue 58. I do appreciate your listening in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this podcast with someone you think would enjoy it. That helps more people find the show. The number one way we grow is for is your referrals to other people, and I appreciate everybody who takes the time to do that. Getting more people involved uh, helps us grow this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.